You're listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. Our Public Policy and Regulation Group is a strong bipartisan team with deep ties throughout Washington, D.C. We have built a thriving government affairs practice through our depth of experience and diversity and by maintaining our bipartisan approach. Our State Attorneys General podcast series is hosted by former Deputy Attorney General of Virginia and presidential appointee at the U.S. Department of Commerce, Stephen Cobb. Through conversations with State Attorneys General, this series will dive into the importance and growing role of State Attorneys General while hearing firsthand on what they are working to accomplish in their communities. Welcome to Holland Tonight's Eyes on Washington podcast. My name is Stephen Cobb. I'm a partner in the public policy and regulatory section at Holland Tonight, and I'll be with you from time to time talking about everything that is state attorneys general. Uh, So I'm very happy to welcome the Attorney General of Nevada with us today, uh, Aaron Ford. Um, We're very excited to to have him here with us. Um, General Ford, you have a Fantastic background from educator to majority leader of the Nevada State Senate to attorney general. Um, Can you tell our listeners just kind of first a little bit about your background and how that's led to the office of attorney general and perhaps how that influences some of your priorities in the office? Absolutely. First off, Stephen, let me say thank you so much for having me and kudos to you for two pronunciations that you've gotten correct. First off is my name, uh, Aaron. Thank you for that. Um, You know, a lot of people call me Aaron. I pronounce it and I I respond to it. And, you know, now because of Key and Peele, a lot of people want to call me A-Aaron. And (laughs) I I, I do respond to that as well, but my name is Aaron. So thank you for that correct pronunciation. And then also uh, Nevada. You said Nevada and not Nevada. Uh, and that's good because I must say anyone who comes to our state and mispronounces it might get upcharged. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much for pronouncing the state correctly as well. Uh, but again, Stephen, thank you for having me on. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about uh, my office, our role, what we do. And I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, to your question, though, of my background and, and how it informs and advises what I do in this office. Uh, I am from inner city, Dallas, Texas. Uh, Now born with a silver spoon, uh, not entirely tarnished, but I have an understanding of of how government can help people get to the next level. Um, My parents divorced when I was early, uh, when I was young, and um, my mom uh, made me, quote unquote, man of the house until my stepdad uh, came onto the scene. And uh, that required me to take take care of my younger brothers, uh, meaning sometimes I had to ensure they got the dinner or the breakfast or uh, help them with the homework or whatnot. And uh, you know, that was in addition to my main job, my mom told me, which was to uh, keep my head in the books. That's a quote of hers that I still use to this day uh, in instructing my own sons uh, to keep their head in the books. And, uh, you know, I was a, a, a decent student. Um, she got me in a program called Project Upward Bound, which was my first um, um, real understanding of how government can help. Uh, it was a program for people like me who uh, didn't have the money or wherewithal necessarily to go to college and whose parents didn't go to college either. Uh, So it was a college preparatory program uh, that the government funded at Southern Methodist University. Literally saved my life, and I don't say that with any hyperbole. Uh, Instead of having me on the streets on Saturdays or in the summers, I was at SMU on Saturdays uh, studying, and uh, for six weeks in the summer at SMU studying uh, and and taking practice SATs, getting ready uh, to to, uh, do better in high school and to matriculate into college. 
I transitioned from what I call tough times and tough neighborhoods to Texas A&M University, uh, where I had uh, um, some uh, very um, um, interesting and life-determining uh, decisions uh, and, and that I made. And at the end of the day, I uh, was able to, uh, uh, again, rely upon a government to help me in a time of need. Uh, I became a single parent in college uh, and uh, was able to rely upon welfare to uh, take care of my son um, on, in Section 8 housing on food stamps uh, and, and another government assistance to ultimately graduate uh, and uh, went on from there to obtain four other degrees, including uh, two master's degrees, my law degree and my PhD at The Ohio State University. Uh, and, you know, so understanding again how uh, the role of government can, can play um, um, a very helpful role in someone's life is what leads me to um, is what leads me in the way that I approach my role as Attorney General, and that is to ensure that um, this office has someone in it that's looking out for Nevada families every single day. So whether it's in consumer protection, or whether it's in criminal justice and reform, or whether it's in the constitutional rights uh, arena, uh, I look out for Nevada families. Uh, and again, I, I draw and rely on and relate to my life's experiences in doing that. Well, General, as a University of Maryland fan, you know, a fellow big tenor these days, I won't hold your Ohio State uh, background against you, uh, but we can leave the rivalries on the, I would say the football field, but you all. Well, well Stephen, I, I, frankly, I'm not sure Maryland can hold anything against Ohio State, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> that's beside the point. You, you set yourself up for that one, by the I way. I did, I did. You can, you can dunk on me all day, pun intended. Yeah. Um, one of the, the fascinating things that I think in the space with state attorneys generals is their changing role over the last probably 10 to 25 years. I think for most people, the, the role of attorney general was something that was always close to home. They were going after the fly-by-night contractor or the, the person who was upcharging at the gas station and, and things of that ilk. But really over the last couple decades, you've seen, we've seen rather, state attorneys general take a huge leadership role in the regulatory space. And from a dollars and cents amount, that's led to tens of billions of dollars in fines and settlements. Uh, what do you attribute the, the rise of state attorneys general to really being um, leaders um, and drivers in that regulatory space? Well, I think part of it is uh, brought about by necessity. Uh, what uh, we came to see um, in my during my tenure, at least what I've come to see is that sometimes we're the first line and oftentimes the last line of defense uh, relative to uh, unscrupulous entities or individuals trying to take advantage of the residents of our state. Um, I, I, I do believe that a lot of folks don't even know what the Attorney General does. They think and they know that at least we put people in jail, uh, but they, that's all they think we do. They don't know that, for example, we have consumer protection practices uh, and consumer protection bureaus that look out uh, for uh, Nevadans in this instance um, when we see companies taking advantage of them from a consumer protection uh, perspective or that we sometimes have to take on uh, other governmental entities relative to the way uh, they are treating Nevada, um, or that we represent uh, Nevada uh, in lawsuits uh, where we have to sue or sometimes when we are sued. So uh, I think that as a matter of necessity, um, attorneys general have become more active and more willing to utilize the powers afforded them under our constitutions and statutes. Uh, I am one who um, um, believes in uh, a very protective attorney general's office. And I think my last two years uh, in this office have demonstrated that. Well, let's unpack that a, a little bit. You hit on a couple different things. Um, you know, 2020 obviously was a rough year for many uh, people with the pandemic. Um, and it 
certainly saw a lot of activity in the state attorney general space. Um, why don't we look at this in kind of twofold? Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the issues that were uh, prevalent and specific in Nevada? And then let's also talk about some of those national issues that you were able to partner with other state attorneys generals on. Sure. So, you know, on day two on the job, not day one, I must acknowledge it was a pomp and circumstance and a bunch of hugging and congratulations um, on day one. But on day two on the job, uh, I gave what I called my first of state of justice speeches to everyone in my office. And I introduced what I called our three C's. We now have five C's that we operate under. And I've referenced some of them. Uh, the first C being consumer protection. Uh, the second C being uh, the protection of constitutional and civil rights. The third C being criminal justice and reform issues. Uh, on, the, on the anniversary of my uh, inauguration a year later, I introduced two additional C's that were already present, but I wanted to highlight. Uh, it was um, uh, the, the, the opportunity for community engagement and community involvement, letting folks know that we do more than put people in jail, that we're your neighbors who shop at the same grocery stores you shop at. And there were also the soccer moms and dads. Uh, and, and so uh, introducing ourselves to the community. And then uh, the other C was, was uh, client services and clients broadly, again, being Nevadans, but also our in institutionalized clients, our institutional clients, I should say. Um, and, you know, so uh, looking at the different things that cropped up over the last year, there was a sixth C that introduced itself or thrust itself upon us, and that was COVID. Uh, COVID uh, required us to um, look at different ways of protecting Nevadans, whether it was through price gouging issues that we saw early on with uh, toilet tissue and, and cleaning supplies, um, you know, being hiked up in pricing. Uh, it was uh, enforcing our governor's directives related to eviction moratoriums against landlords who were intent on um, getting around those. It was also ensuring that we had, um, uh, you know, good information out there about COVID-related scams that were taking place. So there were a lot of things in the COVID arena that we had to address, and that was on top of the already full-time job that we had, generally speaking, uh, uh, again, uh, protecting against unscrupulous businesses or individuals looking to take advantage of our residents. Uh, and internally, we, I think, um, I'm happy to say, we're able to be nimble enough to, to provide uh, um, services to thousands of Nevadans who called or emailed or, or reached out in various different ways with concerns that they had that fell within our purview. And if it didn't, we were able to refer them to the appropriate entities or agencies. Uh, and so, you know, it's been a very busy year last year. Uh, it's begun busy as well. Uh, and, you know, we are uh, delighted that we are in a position to be able to help as much as we can uh, through my office of about 400 individuals. Now, uh, when your office is identifying and addressing individuals, what's, what, what are the usual ways that, that those come in? I, I think many people just assume that it's always um, citizen complaints, and, and obviously that is, that is one avenue. Um, but I, I imagine there, there are other issues of policy and illegality that get brought to your attention. And what, what are some of those ways that your office identifies issues? Yeah, well, we keep our, our finger on the pulse, so to speak, of uh, what's happening nationally uh, to ensure that uh, if it is happening in our state that we address it or that if it is not happening in our state that we try to keep it from happening. Uh, so we have, um, you know, 55 other states and territories and our counterparts in those areas that we correspond with on a daily basis or frequent uh, and sometimes more than daily basis uh, to keep abreast of those issues. Uh, but you have hit the nail on the head in one way, and that is that we do get a lot of consumer complaints from residents. Um, and our website, ag.nb.gov, uh, has links to consumer complaints. 
And uh, oftentimes we get information both on the civil and criminal side of things that we have to route through our constituent services unit to the respective uh, division within my office and we try to address those. Uh, and so those are a couple of the ways that we keep our um, um, ourselves abreast of, of what we need to be addressing in the communities. And you alluded to this in part about some being in close contact with some of your fellow attorneys general. I think one of the areas where you we've seen a lot of increased regulatory presence and really what I would describe as a kind of a legal muscle flex is on multi-state actions. When numerous state AGs band together on a particular enforcement action. Um, for our listeners who aren't otherwise familiar, how does that usually come about? And even just kind of the mechanics of whether that's the issue or whether it's the leadership team of the multi-state or the kind of the criteria that you might consider, is this something that we should be a part of or not? Well, that, that's a great question. And it gives me an opportunity to uh, dispel a myth. You know, obviously there's a lot of partisanship uh, happening these days. It's in the news. It's all over the place. We hear all about uh, Democrats and Republicans or, or uh, you know, one side versus another fighting against one another. But uh, when I was in the state Senate, I learned that that was about 5% of the cases. 95% of what we did in the legislature was bipartisan and sometimes unanimous. Uh, and comparably in the AG realm, there are a lot of items that are occurring nationally uh, where we have bipartisan opportunities to work together as Democratic attorneys general or Republican attorneys general because we have the same uh, general um, mission, which is to protect our residents. And so uh, through org organizations that we have, for example, the National Association of Attorneys General, a bipartisan organization that um, uh, convenes us on occasion and allows us an opportunity to converse with one another, uh, we can learn about issues. We can learn about per issues that are percolating uh, and, and that might interest uh, other states. And so through those types of conversations, we are able to engage in what you've indicated are multi-state actions. Uh, and there, are, there aren't always actions. Sometimes they're just investigations uh, that don't lead to an action, but lead to uh, inaction through a settlement, for example. Uh, but you know, uh, th these are opportunities, I think, again, to demonstrate to the entirety of our constituency that uh, some things um, transcend political lines and it provides us an opportunity through multi-state actions to work together to protect the entirety of our country. How do, how do folks decide, or whether that's your office or in your conversations with other AG offices, you know, in, in my experience, both from having been Deputy Attorney General in Virginia and now in the private sector, uh, on particularly large multi-state actions, say where you have, you know, 40 plus states, that a consortium of those states, a smaller group, will take a leadership role, uh, anywhere from, you know, three to seven. Um, how do you figure out whether or not that's something states want to lead in or whether they're signing on um, and the level of participation that they take in one of those multi-state investigations? Yeah, the, the, you know, the answer to that varies. Sometimes it is a human resource issue. Some offices are larger than others. Sometimes it's a capacity issue. Sometimes it's a capability issue. Some offices have um, more uh, um, specific um, areas of jurisdiction where they have uh, more expertise, for example, uh, in a particular arena, and we're able to rely upon their expertise from a capability perspective. Uh, but in all areas, we attempt to, to again, work in a bipartisan fashion. I can't think of an of a multi-state in which I've been involved or, or my state has been involved 
where we don't have Democrats and Republicans on the executive committee, for example, making the uh, inquiries and, and updates to the rest of the attorneys general. Uh, but determining who's going to be that executive committee, uh, again, it, it encompasses a, a varying issues from uh, capacity to capability to expertise uh, to human resources and probably other things that I'm not considering right now. Looking into 2021, I think kind of everyone's curious as to what the state AG priorities are going to be at a national level. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the articles and the headlines talking about ways to partner with the new presidential administration. Um, what are some of the subject matter areas that you think are likely to be areas of focus um, for your office specifically and for state AGs across the country nationally as we look around the corner through 2021? Well, uh, this is probably one of the instances when you talk about uh, focusing on what the current administration is looking to do that, that it may fall more along a partisan line than uh, other instances. But uh, some of the areas of focus that I've heard um, President Biden and his administration talk about that I'll be interested in working with them on are voting rights issues, um, you know, expanding the franchise and uh, allowing more people to get engaged and, and get involved. I'm looking forward to the passage of the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act, for example. Uh, as, as, as one of the types of things that I see us being able to uh, work on and help to uh, contribute any expertise or knowledge to. Uh, immigration issues, although it's a federal issue, uh, ensuring that, there are, that, uh, that what's happening on the ground in our states is being communicated to our federal counterparts, I think is important. Uh, looking at um, uh, criminal justice and criminal justice reform-based issues, uh, I am looking forward to the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, for example, being passed. Uh, there were a lot of things that um, were, were contemplated that were passed out of one house last um, last administration that did not make it through the other house that I think we have an opportunity to um, participate in conversation on, and, and I'm looking forward to that as well. I think some of the things that uh, will remain a priority, uh, irrespective of party, are again consumer protection issues. Uh, if there are, in fact, uh, instances where um, um, there are uh, antitrust concerns, for example, from a consumer protection perspective, you can see attorneys general working together, uh, potentially with uh, a, a Biden administration, uh, to ensure that we uh, continue the, the the opportunities for competition out there. Uh, and so, you know, those are some examples of ways in which I think attorneys general can work with the current administration, uh, either on a partisan level or on a bipartisan level. I know that when uh, President Biden was Vice President Biden, um, during the time of the Recovery Act, he was kind of put in charge of managing and review on issues of waste and abuse as it um, pertained to monies that flew out um, from the federal government. Um, is there a space for state AGs in the enforcement of some of the, this money that has gone out from the federal government as it pertains to uh, COVID relief? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, there, there's, there is a uh, opportunity for great partnerships with uh, our federal counterparts, for example, uh, in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the respective states. Um, to ensure that we don't have fraud taking place in CARES Act, uh, uh, receiving CARES Act funds or the administration of those funds. There are opportunities, again, to ensure that we don't see a recurrence of um, um, stockpiling or a recurrence of price gouging and things of that sort. 
Um, you know, and, and you mentioned COVID, that should have been something that I said <laughs> out the box relative to opportunities to work with the current administration. We're all interested in, in ensuring that we could uh, keep uh, the, our residents safe. And so working with the, the current administration on the rollout uh, and on the, uh, the, the process and the progress of vaccinations would be something that we uh, could help from to the extent that uh, we have the ability within our respective jurisdictions to engage in that type of uh, activity. Well, that's certainly, I'm sure, going to keep uh, you and many of your colleagues very busy. Um, this wouldn't be a timely podcast if I didn't ask your thoughts on some of the stock trading um, behaviors that have been going on in, in recent days um, with the shorting of stocks and the stopping of certain trading. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what's been going on, or is this a space that state AGs um, have a role to examine going forward? Well, I'm going to limit my comments on this uh, out of respect for um, uh, any, any potential um, investigations that may be taking place uh, that are unknown. But we do know that, for example, my colleague in New York, uh, Chis Jameson, indicated that she is entertaining and reviewing the complaints around uh, certain stock trading activities and the cessation of those um, by the companies that, that are operating in that arena. Um, but comparably, uh, my colleague in Texas, a Republican, has also indicated that he has issued um, uh, civil investigative domains, CIDs for short, um, on those same types of issues. And so this is, again, an opportunity for a bipartisanship from, from the vantage point of ensuring that our residents um, are being uh, treated fairly and equally under uh, uh, these types of laws. And so, yes, I, I do see that as an opportunity for additional work within the AG's arena. You've mentioned several times that, you know, most of the work that gets done, you know, hopefully gets done in a bipartisan nature, but acknowledge that there are the, sometimes those partisan divisions. Um, and in that vein, congratulations, as you've recently been named a co-chair of the Democratic Attorneys General Association, yeah, affectionately referred to as DAGA. Yeah. Um, does DAGA have any uh, particular interests and priorities um, specific to, to DAGA in 2021? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're going to be uh, uh, convening to discuss those further. I can say uh, at a minimum, though, that they align with the current administration's uh, areas of focus. Again, I've talked about a few of those from uh, COVID and, and defeating that particular disease and, and getting us out of this pandemic uh, to issues related to criminal justice, criminal justice reform, to issues related to um, uh, the protecting the constitutional right to vote uh, and, and things of that sort. So, uh, you know, environmental issues have been important to uh, the Democratic Attorney General Association, both in the Trump administration will remain important in the, uh, and, and will likewise remain important in the, Trump, in the uh, Biden administration. So you will see us uh, align uh, with some of those areas of priority, and you will likewise hear us roll out, you know, our own areas of priority uh, over the coming months. You know, for many companies, working with um, state regulators and in particular state attorneys generals can, can be a challenge. Um, if for no other reason, then it perhaps isn't something that they do that often. Uh, I know from my time working in the Virginia AG's office that there's sometimes there's this kind of uh, an educational component of people getting up to speed for what a civil investigative demand is, how those investigations um, differ from our their federal counterparts, how it's different from general civil uh, litigation. Um, and that's only uh, can be compounded and confused more because, uh, as I believe you alluded to uh, earlier in our conversation, not all state attorneys generals have the same powers. Some mm -hmm. are the, as you alluded to, some are the, some are the top cop and 
you know, oversee every line prosecutor throughout their state. Others have very limited uh, criminal prosecutorial powers. Some have large antitrust divisions. Some have some have one person. Um, in your experience, you know, what are some of the things that make working with a state AG office unique? Well, look, man, you hit it all on the head. Um, <laughs> you could, I, I could have asked you and you could have answered it because you just gave <laughs> some great examples of, of what makes it unique. Uh, you know, listen, I, I think, um, you know, the best advice that I could offer folks when they are encountering or engaging with the AG's office is to do research on uh, jurisdiction. Or if you can't figure out how to do the research, feel free to ask. Uh, you've indicated uh, that several offices have different areas of jurisdiction. Yeah. Or, 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 a, or ask their lawyer, right? Uh, yeah, or ask their lawyer, <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, you know, there are some uh, of my colleagues that have no jurisdiction whatsoever in the criminal process. Um, and, and there are others like I um, that have uh, only a few uh, areas of expertise, uh, pardon me, of jurisdiction uh, in the criminal context. Um, there are some that have, as you've indicated, expansive departments based on the, the sheer numbers. California, New York, for example, have large divisions and departments uh, that, that um, allow them to take the lead on certain things. And so uh, uh, understand from a, from a uh, multi-state perspective uh, to reference your other question, but understanding the, the breadth and depth of, of these types of uh, offices, I think is an important uh, fact to, to have an understanding of uh, when you start to engage with attorney general, attorneys general offices. How important and or appropriate is it for companies, particularly those that um, have you know, unique business plans or disruptive technologies to be proactive with state regulators and state attorneys general in, in particular? Um, I always find it helpful to come in sometimes when it's appropriate and explain what that particular entity is doing rather than wait for someone to complain out of misunderstanding what's going on. Yeah. Um, so how helpful can those conversations be on, on a front end to make sure everyone's coloring within the line, so to speak? Well, look, listen, as a general matter, um, well, before I answer, I'm going to back up and, and reference my days in the state Senate. I was Senate majority leader, as you've indicated, I was also a minority leader, and I have seen, to use your phraseology, disruptive technologies come in uh, and ask for forgiveness as opposed to permission, if you will, uh, to yeah. operate. <laughs> uh, and from a legislative perspective, that created uh, um, you know, some issues, some unnecessary turmoil. Um, it's different when you're interacting with an AG, though, because you are begging for uh, forgiveness when you may have actually broken the law. So <laughs> being, being proactive and coming in asking for permission, so to speak, uh, or, or at least some level of engagement with an attorney general. And I shouldn't take permission because we don't have to give permission, right? I mean, uh, reasonable right. minds can disagree on the application of, of, of law, but at least conversation around issues can help you get an understanding of what um, a particular attorney general interpretation is of uh, his or her state's law uh, on a particular issue. So uh, conversation and full candor, uh, entirely candid and truthful, uh, is always uh, um, a, a good approach to take, and it's one that I highly recommend. That's fantastic. In general, you've been incredibly generous uh, with your time. I just had one follow-up, which is to say that anyone who follows you on Twitter um, knows that you still have some moves back from your <laughs> fraternity days. If you were going to suggest and or call out any of your colleagues to think who could do the same routines, who would you pick? Oh, my goodness. Well, I would say this. There's, there's one of my colleagues who is also my fraternity brother. Uh, and, and that that did, sounds like a cop-out, though. Well, he, well, you know what? I'm not going to put anybody else. I'm, I'm going to say it this way. 
uh, someone else tweeted, can your AG do this? Uh, and the North Carolina AG, uh, my colleague Mr. Stein said, no. So <laughs> I, I'll leave that to him. But Kwame Raul, the attorney general from Illinois, he's my fraternity brother. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I would put the challenge to him uh, to, to maybe uh, do as I did. I, was, uh, I put out a video encouraging folks to uh, take the vaccine for COVID. Um, there, as you may know, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, uh, the, the, the black and brown communities are disproportionately affected by COVID, and they're also disproportionately not taking the vaccine. And so to try to relate some of that trepidation, uh, I, I utilize one of my fraternities, uh, time-honored traditions of, of doing what we call caning, K-A-N-I-N-G. Uh, that's uh, um, um, of doing a particular routine with a cane, and I'll, I'll leave it to people to go look it up on, on my Twitter feed. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, I, I would encourage uh, General Raul to uh, match me on that uh, and, and do the uh, don't rush challenge uh, to encourage folks to take that vaccine. So there you have it. <laughs> I love it. The challenge has been laid down. General, Absolutely. thank you so much for joining us on uh, Holland Tonight's Eyes on Washington podcast, our state AG ed edition. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your perspectives. Thank you so much, Stephen. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you for listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.